0: Hi friends, welcome to The Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walk by faith and gained a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. Thanks so much for listening today. My guest for this episode is Christian writer, speaker, and social activist Shane Claiborne. This is part two of my interview with Shane, so if you've not listened to part one yet, you should do that first. Shane has written several books that are both challenging and hopeful to the church. Shane's love and compassion for the homeless, the poor, and the oppressed is so inspiring. His passion to see the world transformed is contagious. So please, enjoy part two of my interview with Shane Claiborne. So, um, I'm sure there were... Just or there are because you continue to do this. Just a lot of challenging aspects and being an advocate for the poor. Do you mind sharing some of some of the challenges of of your work?
1: Well, the you know the big probably one of the biggest challenges I think is that relational disconnect. You know, it's it's hard to love neighbors if we don't know them. So uh, we're always trying to find ways that we can break down the barriers and the, you know, the, the, the big walls on the border, but also the little walls, you know, the Mm -hmm. picket fences and office cubicles. And I think we live in a very individualistic society. So we're, um, some of us were exercising muscles that have atrophied a little bit, you know, like I think the compassion work, um, needs to lead us to justice and, and, but that comes with, um, with, with, with the relationships, you know, I, I didn't, um, uh, you know, 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't have even thought about writing a book on gun violence, but yeah. a- after seeing so many lives cut short by gun violence, I mean, almost every corner of my neighborhood, I can tell you the story of who was shot and killed there. Wow. Um, and that's just over the last 20 years here, you know, we've got murals mm-hmm. m- memorializing those lives lost all over our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So Um, there comes a point where Martin Luther King said, uh, you know, that, that we're called to be the good Samaritan and lift our neighbor out of the ditch on the road to Jericho. But after you lift so many people out of the ditch, you start to say, maybe we need to rethink the whole road to Jericho. You know, we've got to do something about why people keep ending up in the ditch to begin with. Mm. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of folks that are very, um, they love compassion. They love charity. But it's it's a it's a new step to begin asking the questions of justice, and you know, mm-hmm. not just uh, lifting our neighbor out of the ditch, but doing something about uh, why they're in, ending up there to begin with.
0: Yeah, that's really really cool. Um, so were there times that you ever just wanted to walk away from the work, and if so, what helped you to stay committed? <sighs>
1: Well, not, uh, not really, because this is, I, I keep like, uh, I mean, there's, we have terribly hard days, you know, and right. even terribly, you know, hard seasons. We've been in an opioid crisis where we've lost 1200 lives in one year. Mm. So, you know, we, we like these things, they, they weigh very heavy, yeah. but there's a few things I think, you know, in addition to the, the good answers, like you know, having a Sabbath day and keeping a robust prayer and spiritual life. I think yeah. all those things are true, uh, and they they are very true. But we also, I think, have found ways that we can um, have fun together. You know, yeah. like we we have, I hang out with people that have pretty good sense of humor and like <laughs> pranks and things like that, and that's um, keeps us alive. You know, I I one of my mentors said if uh, if if uh, you, the, if you can't laugh then the devil's already won mm. and even when I've been in some really really difficult places like in, in in Iraq during the bombing and the war um in 2003 like everywhere I went I was just absolutely stunned by the joy and the hope uh, of the Iraqi people that yeah. we were there to to be with you know so um you know, even uh, one of my neighbors, when as the stock market's been flailing, you know, I, I remember asking him, "Well, what, what do you think's going to happen with the stocks?" And he said, "Well, our hope doesn't lie in Wall Street. You know, mm-hmm. our hope is built on Jesus' blood and righteousness, all yep. other ground, sinking sand." And then mm-hmm. he goes, and and besides. My people have been in a recession for about 300 years. <laughs> <laughs> wow, well, that's one way to look at it, yeah. And and, and God has never abandoned us, you mm. know. And so I um I think there's kind of a, a resilience that comes from that uh, that sort of deep faith and hope of, of folks that have that have struggled deeply, and they also um, are not too enamored with uh, the sink sinking sand, you know. And right. um. Um, so, uh, the other thing I would say is like this idea of like the, having a local community where our feet are on the ground, where we're building real relationships really for me has to go hand in hand with the macro change, you know, and the, the, the big issues and the, like, I- you know, immigration reform and, um, common sense gun laws and uh, like ending the death penalty, all those things. Like to me, Relationships are what fuels that, you know, Mm -hmm. and and if I if I'm just giving out food bags in my neighborhood, I get a little bit tired if I'm not doing some micro level to try to make changes to the inequity that exists in our world so dramatically, you know, yeah. Um, but on the other hand, if I'm just working at a macro level and don't have any relationships on the ground, I think that gets tiring, too. So I've yeah. got plenty of friends in D.C. that, you know, I think they need to come have a snowball fight or, you know, <laughs> jump in a fire hydrant in the summer and hang out with the kids, you know, be good for their soul. So I, I think we got to hold those together, it's sort of like blades of scissors, you know, building a community with our feet on the ground. And uh, working, you know, for some of the systemic changes or as the scriptures call the principalities and powers that we're fighting against as well. Yeah, um, yeah. so if I, if I find myself too lopsided... Um, I get a little bit, you know, tired if I'm not doing one of those, but we're also, we have a great time, you know, we're, we, we like to be creative with our resistance. So, you know, as of late, we've been, (laughs) you know, melting guns into garden tools and my wife's now a blacksmith and I'm, we're both aspiring blacksmiths. So we've gotten all the, we've got a blacksmith shop and all the skills and tools now and, um, and, and so we're Jeez. taking do- yeah. donated guns, you know, and we're transforming them into shovels and plows and making them into garden tools, you know, inspired by the prophetic mm-hmm. vision of beating swords into plows. So, but that's yeah. like, to me, it feels so concrete. I mean, it's really good for the soul and it's not just symbolic. I think when we started it, we saw the symbolism of it, but the more we've done it, we've seen, um, that it's really sacramental, you know, that Mm -hmm. when, especially when we invite people who have, um, are survivors, you know, they've lost their loved ones or they've, uh, survived mass shootings. Like as they take the hammer to a gun, um, even one young man who he had actually taken someone's life. And as they began to beat on the, the, this gun and transform it, it, there's something really holy that often happens in people's hearts you know mm. and so we have you know traveled all over the country with the the forge and taken hundreds and hundreds of guns off the streets that were donated and um, are are doing that work so it's it's wow. hopeful as much as as much as it's a protest it's a, pro, a way of protestifying right mm. that like that things can be different like yeah. uh, this piece of metal designed to kill can be redesigned. And so can our country, you know, we can be realigned to the values of life, uh, to where, you know, losing 100 lives every day to guns, uh, it doesn't have to stay that way.
2: Mm.
0: That's awesome. Um, so what has been um, one of the biggest unexpected blessings to come out of your advocacy and work?
1: Oh, gosh, well, I'm, I, I'm sure you could
0: go on and on for
1: days. I. <laughs> That's awesome. I think what I have felt like, and what I, what I'm so encouraged by, is that light shines in the darkness, and that image that Jesus uses, um, or you know that that we're to to uh, be salt in the world. That they, mm-hmm. there's something that happens when the church rises to the occasion and i see that happening all over our country right now as as um even as we see a surge in white supremacy and white fragility and just kind of like when a lot of people are saying make america great again they're 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 also saying make america white again you know um Mm -hmm. because you start to think like what era of American history, would African-Americans like to relive? You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. so you kind of go, let's go forward together. I'm so encouraged, though, because I see um, I I think that there's so many people that are um, doing incredible work. My friend Brian Stevenson, who's down in Montgomery, you know, the Equal Justice Initiative. And one of the things that he says is we cannot get our future right until we get our history right. Mm. And, and so I think we've got to do some of that hard work. But there's so many beautiful voices out there. Michelle Alexander, you know, so so many folks that are helping us get our history right so that we can uh, move forward together. Right. Um, uh, so, yeah. And I mean, locally, I think in Philadelphia, you know, we've had some really terrible things out of that kind of culture of fear mm-hmm. and hostility. Uh, we, we had someone cut the head of a pig off oh, wow. and put it in front of the mosque as, as <gasps> oh just a, you know, a, a terrible, evil you know, act of hatred. And, um, and yet what happened was faith leaders, rabbis, Jewish rabbis and Christian pastors um, rose to the occasion and um, vigiled outside of the mosque. Mm. Um, to really stand in solidarity, uh, you know, with our Muslim neighbors, and to declare, you know, that that hate won't win. You know, we we right. won't allow this to be um, tolerated. And then there was a uh, an act of hatred in the Jewish cemetery where a bunch of the graves were um, vandalized um, oh, and with you know symbols of hatred, and the Muslim community uh, rose up and raised. Tens of thousands of dollars to repair the Jewish um, cemetery. Right. So, I, I mean, I just think, you know, light shines in darkness, and what an amazing time it is to be alive right now. Um, and, and I really think that what the, these two forces that are battling over the soul of America are love and fear, you know, and, and, and the, the scripture says so poignantly that perfect love casteth out fear. Um, even now in the coronavirus or with immigration, with guns, with so many things, um, we we can see that we've got a choice between love and fear,
2: right?
1: And they, these are like opposing forces. or like you know, uh, magnets that that you cannot hold together. They just uh, oppose each other. and and so um, you know, a real question before all of us is, uh, what would it look like if our policies, we're being driven more by love than by fear. Mm.
2: You
1: know what? What would our lives look like if we we just declared um, that that uh, love over fear in, in our own personal lives and in our communities? So um, I'm I'm excited. I think it's a, it really is a crossroads for our country right now, and um, we've got we've got a, a choice to make between love and fear, and uh, w- we're going to do our best to choose love.
2: Yeah.
0: It's a hard thing to do, right? But it's the important work. Um so you mentioned earlier your your work with Mother Teresa, which is just that's crazy for us to think about, you know, the majority of us, we just hear that name and we're like that's somebody that's not approachable. And I know from, you know, things that you've written how she actually was quite approachable. <laughs> um can you maybe share one story about your experiences with her um in Calcutta.
1: Well, when when um, you know people hear that I called India and she picked up the phone, you know, and then I asked if we could come work with her. And she said, yeah, come on, you know, and like, so crazy. Um, people can get kind of surprised, but then yeah. the people that knew her, it was very characteristic. Mm-hmm. And even when I got to India, that's what she was doing. She was running around doing, you know, you know, everything. She was at prayer in the mornings and, yeah. you know, helping people get bananas after prayer and whatever, you know? So, mm-hmm. it, um, but, um, the one thing that I, I often, um, go back to that was was uh, such a um, deep lesson for me is that Mother Teresa's feet were terribly deformed mm-hmm. and um, you know and I I've written a little bit about it but it was hard to express like you know I was I was sitting in prayer and I'm looking and you know at her feet and they're so deformed that I wondered if she had contracted leprosy or something but mm-hmm. you know I wasn't I wasn't about to ask her like. What's up with your feet, you know, mm-hmm. is Mother Teresa. So one of the nuns said, you know, we get just enough shoes donated for everyone to get a pair. And we, we usually don't have many left over. So Mother Teresa takes this idea, you know, that we're to honor the needs of others above our own. We're to love our neighbor as herself. And what it's compelled her to do is she goes in, she takes some of the worst pairs of the shoes and they she takes those for herself. Mm. and after years and years of of doing that um it's made her feet look like that
0: wow
1: and i can just remember you know thinking of Even in my own life, like when we would donate clothes to the Salvation Army or something, you'd always get the stuff that like the zipper didn't quite work right, or you know, (laughs) it was had a tear in the side or whatever, you know. And like Mother Teresa did just the opposite. Mm. You know, when you give to the poor, you're giving it to Jesus. Yeah. So I, you know, I saw her even scold people if there wasn't enough uh, gravy on the rice, you know, because you like you're you are giving this to Jesus, you're, Mm -hmm. you are, um, you know, and so she was very known for that, you know, kind of, uh, when you do it to the poor, do it like you're doing it to Jesus. And, and, you know, that love, which it came from relationship too, you know, um, Mm -hmm. and, um, she, there was another time where someone donated a water heater, uh, it was actually they donated a house that had a water heater brand new installed in it. And Mother Teresa so humbly but wonderfully, she said, oh, well, thank you so much. And you can find someone else that needs the water heater. Um, mm-hmm. And and she went on to just kind of uh, not make a big deal out of it, but just to say that, that you know, they don't live with hot water because it's it it. Um, Most of the neighbors that didn't even have water, many of them had to walk to get water. And so hot water was just sort of a luxury, you know, um, that separate us from being in closer solidarity with the poor. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I I have hot water just for the record, my house. But I think (laughs) that like there are so many things that we sort of take for granted because of that lack of proximity to folks who are hurting. Right. Um, and that's why, you know, I, I, I think that's where, you know, loving our neighbor as ourself it, it has a lot to do with who we our neighbor is. You know, if our neighbor's in a cardboard box or our neighbor's living in an abandoned house, which is, you know, the case right here, then it it's becomes really challenging to say, what does it mean to love my neighbor as myself when mm-hmm. I've got way more than I need while they have way less? You know, and it kind of redefines what is enough. And Mother Teresa's feet taught me that, and um, also the cold water.
0: Yeah, some powerful stuff. So in addition to working alongside her, you also got to work with um, our uh, Dr. John Perkins, incredible civil rights activist. Um, can you tell me what that was like to work and learn from him?
1: Well, we've been friends. Uh, Dr. Perkins and I have been friends for 20 years or wow. more, and uh, mm-hmm. he's been here to the to this you know to our house and um it's funny because he showed up and you know we got everything shined and polished and we're ready for you know uh, kind of our legendary he's kind of like a spiritual grandfather for us you know but we got everything ready we're going to give him a big tour and he just got ice cream and sat in the street and hung out with the kids you know and (laughs) stuff and it's very typical but uh it just didn't need to be impressed by it much you know and um but he's he's got you know john d- dropped out of school when he was in elementary sc- school like third or fourth grade yeah and yet he's got this wisdom you know and this sort of winsome you know, spirit, so he'll, he'll he can get away with stuff because he's you know 85 years old or whatever. He'll <laughs> say, We got the best politicians that money can buy, you know. <laughs> and uh, I, I just love him, you know, but he he loves Jesus and he he's um so uh he's so good at connecting um the the like holistic vision of. Uh, restoring neighborhoods. So like mm-hmm. sometimes in the church, I think what we do is we, we separate salvation as either being individual, personal salvation, God saving souls, or it's the social justice and God's transforming the world. And, and we get a little lopsided and John has held those together so that we can see, yes, God is healing individuals and God is about personal salvation and God is also about social transformation, mm. you know, and the healing of neighborhoods and of our world. And um, so one of the other lines that John uh, says often is, he says, we've all heard it said, if you give someone a fish, they'll eat for a day. But if you teach them to fish, they'll eat for the rest of their life. And John says, but we also have to ask who owns the pond. Mm. And we have to do something about access to the pond and the things that are keeping people from being able to, to you know fish for themselves even though they know how and have all the you know everything that they need they can't get into the pond or the pond's polluted or you know the fishing license costs too much or whatever so we've got to kind of holistically um do those things you know give people fish teach people to fish and also do something about who owns the pond
0: Mm. That's awesome. Um, So, you've been through a lot of challenging stuff in your work. Um, What helps you to remain faithful to Jesus in the hard times?
1: Well, there's a couple of things that I I find that, um, first of all, having a big community of friends helps us um, create, you know, sort of a a, a structure of community that a lot of the things that we're talking about are, are countercultural mm-hmm. values. And so, um, it's hard to maintain those and kind of swim upstream by yourself, you know, so just, just as we sort of hear, you know, about peer pressure as a teenager, as a negative thing, and it can be like, I think community can create sort of this positive, inertia you know is kind of gravity towards good and uh, a lot of times I say like community is about surrounding ourselves with people who look like the kind of person that we want to be Mm. and you know people that remind us of Jesus and so if you want to like be more generous, hang out with generous people. You know, if you want to be more courageous, then hang out with courageous people. And, you know, if you want to be more narcissistic, then, you know, um, (laughs) just watch reality TV and hang out with narcissistic (laughs) people, you know? And so like, I think that's, um, you know that that there's a part of it that even you know when you exercise I'm, I'm running these days but it's easier to run if you've got other people you're running with you know and i think mm-hmm. with prayer um you know sometimes it's it's easier to maintain a kind of good prayer life in the context of community when others are doing it so like we have a um really beautiful resource called common prayer that Mm -hmm. we pray together and it's available on phone apps for free. And it's, you know, in book form too, but that's like a way that we're able to pray together. It's been a really important part of my um, own kind of prayer life, as you said, to remain faithful, you know, but I also take a lot of courage from Jesus that Jesus like, um, I mean, the mystery of what happened on the cross is that Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: That, you know, the profound thought in that is that God felt the absence of God. And -hmm. Mother Teresa certainly had, you know, a a deep um, loneliness. So did Dorothy Day. She wrote a book called The Long Loneliness. And so for people that, you know, feel that, 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 my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sometimes I say, you know, even Jesus felt that. So, you know, we we don't always feel like everything's perfect in the world and that God is, you know, right next to us. Like sometimes it can feel very lonely. And so, but we we do our best, I think, to try to stay connected to, to Jesus, even the Jesus that that was in solidarity with us in that loneliness, and you know, to to live in community together because I think we're we're made to love and be loved, and um, um, so a lot of us are, you know, we we've kind of um got a lot of virtual community, but not much real community. And if yeah. you if you on, if you only eat virtual food, you're you die, you know. <laughs> so yeah, we need real life relationships.
0: Mm, that's really good. Um, so you shared the verse about my God, my God, why have you forsaken me being an encouragement to you? Any other verses or Bible stories that speak to you in the difficult times?
1: Oh man, there's so much, but I, you know, I, 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 I always say we like this. We love the stuff in red, you know, the old Bibles. Right. that had the words of Jesus in red and that's why we call ourselves red letter Christians. Mm-hmm. But the, the, um, the, the, I mean, what's a really important place um I, I think is Jesus' account of the judgment of Matthew twenty-five, where it says all of us will be gathered before God and we'll be asked a few questions. Mm-hmm. And incidentally, according to Jesus, they're not just doctrinal questions that will be asked, you know, virgin birth, agree, disagree, or strongly disagree, you know. Yeah. But we 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 will be asked, When I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was a stranger, when I was an immigrant, a refugee, when I was homeless, did you welcome me in? When, when I was in prison, did you come visit me? When I was sick, did you care for me? So, in the end, um, th- this is so central to our faith: is that um, if our if our faith doesn't demonstrate itself in real, concrete acts of love and compassion. Then we've we've got to keep going deeper, you know, because mm, Jesus did did not just kind of call us to um, go to worship services and wear bumper stickers and t-shirts, but to really like um, to to have ourselves concerned with those that he called the least of these, you know the the most vulnerable. People in our society those that the scripture calls the widows and orphans right so Mm -hmm. um what what does that look like for us and i'm always careful to say like um you know uh, that our works don't earn our salvation but they do demonstrate our salvation and and if if in the end our faith doesn't demonstrate itself in those concrete acts of love to the least of these then um then we we really uh it uh, need you know do we need to do some soul work? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, James talks about faith without works is dead, and that's um, I don't think that's something we should take lightly. I think that's something that you know uh, a lot of times people you know explain away, but I think that there's there's so much that ha- we have been called to do, and if we don't, you know, we are we are going to be you know held responsible. What did you do? And, you know, I'm, I'm scared for the day when I have to answer that, you know, I, I want to be able to stand before God and say, you know, I did what I, what I could with what I was given. And, um, and I know that there's a lot of room for improvement always. And I don't think we have to be um, living in fear, but I think that we should live knowing that, um, you know, we're, we're going to be, we're going to be judged for what we did and, We are, you know, only given this one life in a limited number of days. And so, you know, how are you going to make it count? And what are we going to do with what you've been given?
1: So that's really... Yeah, and I I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of guilt and shame. Right. I think that Jesus came not to give us guilt to the fullest, but to give us life to the fullest. And in the end, the gospel is good news to uh uh, all of us, like mm-hmm. Jesus, is is healing the oppressed, but right. he's also healing the oppressors. You know, Jesus is freeing the the poor from their poverty, but is also, you know, freeing the rich from their their obsession with stuff. And so, like, I think we're we're all kind of being, uh, in, we're we're being welcomed into a fuller life. And yeah. a lot of us, just you know, we find that the more stuff we have. The more we have to hide behind, and the more our right. possessions begin to possess us, and we end up just maintaining stuff that rather than actually living into um, generative relationships. And yeah, you know, I, I really believe that we're called to, to love and liberate. And so, you know, as Frederick Beatner says, we've got to take our deepest passions and connect them to the world's deepest pain. Mm. And there's so many ways to do that. You know, it's not like everybody's going to work in a soup kitchen or something. I think there's so many ways. We've got right. carpenters creating, you know, affordable housing. We've got mm-hmm. old folks that are making blankets and quilts for, for uh, folks on the street. You know, we've got yeah. like everybody using their skills and gifts in a way that aligns with the kingdom of God and that, you know, gives life to the hurting.
0: It's so beautiful. Um so, how has walking alongside the poor in your community and among the homeless? How has this changed your view of God?
1: Well, I, I, I've become less and less um, uh, see people as defined by their economic place in the mm-hmm. world. Like I, I don't, um, I don't think that. Um, um, when, when I when I read things like the rich man and Lazarus story, you know the story that Jesus told about this rich man in a gated neighborhood, gated world that ha, found himself separated from the poor. That that life of luxury not only separated him from the poor, but it separated him from God. Mm. And and um, and and so I I think that um, God is profoundly inviting us to be in relationships with people across class and race. Mm. And it's what Jesus models for us. Um, the danger, I think, is that we think that we hold the hope for a poor neighborhood or mm. something. So, you know, we've, we've got to really come with the right posture to listen and learn and walk alongside people. So I don't, I don't use the words like we're a voice for the voiceless, yeah. Very much because I think there's a lot of people who have voices mm-hmm. that people are not listening to, and our job is not to just stand up and speak for them, our job is to stand with them and behind them and right. hold the mic while they speak for themselves. So I think you know, a lot of people that come from privileged backgrounds are very amped to be a voice for the voiceless. But I think that we need to be people who stand in solidarity and amplify the voices that people are not listening to. So whether that's our immigrant neighbors or folks that are affected by gun violence, you know, my friends on death row, like, like there's so many different um, people that we, we can stand alongside and, you know, um, help people see the dignity um, that's inherent in, in folks that we, aren't, uh, noticing very well. And that's why, you know, things like the Black Lives Matter movement, I think what has happened is that people are naming what hundreds of years of history has neglected, you know, and yet there's still people that will say, well, you know, all lives matter. You know, like it, to say that Black Lives Matter doesn't mean that white people don't matter or, you know, black is beautiful doesn't mean white people are ugly, but we've mm-hmm. got to, we've got to emphasize what our, uh, history has neglected over and over and over yeah. again. So, you know, I think that's some of the 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 hard work that we've got to do as a country right now is to, you know, have conversations about what does true restoration, like restorative justice, the idea of justice and righteousness are bound up together in the Bible? And so what does it mean to heal some of the wounds of history? What does it mean to tell the truth about our history and yeah. what we did to, you know, Native and, and Indigenous folks and what, what we did to African-Americans? And, you know, now, you know, we, we still live in the residue of, of much of that because we haven't been honest about it. So, I you know, I think all of that kind of is— bound up together and um for those of us that are from a kind of dominant white culture we need to be in places where we are a minority uh more often and where we're serving mm-hmm. alongside organizations that are led by people of color and and i you know i think we we've uh, got some of us were so used to being kind of the majority uh we need to um uh, you know, lean in to those places where we might uh, listen and learn and serve uh, alongside our, our neighbors that are coming from a very different social location.
0: Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier, like, you know, having people that you know, in, you know, policymaking positions. And I think a lot of folks in the, you know, in that are actually from your neighborhood would probably you're, you're creating connections in a lot of ways. And I think that that's an important part of what you're saying. Like, not that I'm going to speak for them all the time, but that I'm going to help maybe facilitate some connections, just due to this privilege that I do have. Maybe being a traveling speaker or whatever it might be that causes these connections. You're you're bringing that proximity that you talked about earlier. You're helping to, um, you know, get get the get the voices in front of those that. That have the ability to make change, and I think that's that's really powerful. Um, so, to folks that may be listening, um, that are you know wanting to uh, care for those that um, the disadvantaged in their communities um, or with their churches, what advice would you give them?
1: Well, uh, Mother Teresa had a powerful way of saying. This she said, uh, Calcutta's are everywhere if we'll only have eyes to see, yeah. So, fi- find your Calcutta, you know. You don't have to go, um, across the world to find folks that are, you know, need a hand to hold. Um, uh, and sometimes it's easier to love like the invisible children in Uganda than it is the people right next to us, you know. Mm. So, I mean, I, I think what, what that can look like or um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer that we need to go where the the door's already cracked, you know, where we yeah. find folks that are already going in the prison and we can come with them or write letters with a group. There's tons of groups that write letters to in, incarcerated folks and folks on death row mm-hmm. um, or, you know, that we can, I, I, I saw a, a group of young people that they just started visiting the elderly folks in the, in the like senior home and got a list of all the old ladies that didn't have any family to come visit them regularly. And um, and, and they, you know, started uh, playing board games and working puzzles. And then yeah. they, they would give these elderly women like manicures and pedicures. Mm-hmm. And it was just beautiful and that stuff it. that I wouldn't have thought of. You know, yeah. probably a little challenging during the coronavirus. But like, yeah. I think there's all kinds of ways that we can rise to the occasion to to care for neighbors. Um, and, but it all has to do with, as Jesus said, you know, uh, that of us having eyes to see, mm. um, uh, you, you know, the, 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 folks around us and we're, we're very good at, at, um, looking the other way. So we, we, I think we've got to kind of lean in, you know, and find folks that are already doing it. And a lot of times I find, uh, Uh, you know, the hardest part about running a marathon is not getting to the finish line, but getting to the starting line, Yeah, you know, so finding like just uh, some ways that you can begin to build relationships with folks that are different. And boy, we've got so many, you know, immigrant neighbors that can use some assistance. My mom's been um, walking alongside of several folks that are trying to get proper documentation in our country, and my mom's, yeah. like, doing the family promise thing where families that are at risk of homelessness can live in the the worship spaces during the week between services and stuff, you know, so I mm. think those are all, like, things that people can do, you know, right where they are.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, I think that um, a couple of the things you mentioned we can definitely keep doing um, right now, and I think that, um, you know, with a lot of us being basically homebound, we can still write letters. We can still do, you know, we have, you know, the internet, we have other things that we can do to send encouraging messages to folks. And, um, and hopefully once we're on the other side of all this, we um, were able to, we realize just how blessed we are to have community. We're how blessed we are to be able to, you know, hug and embrace those around us <laughs> right now. It's a little bit of a scary time, but you know, it, it is such a blessing to be able to to have community with people and to get together with folks and to, um, and to meet physical needs. And um, you know, there's a couple that I'm friends with, and they um, they are part of a small group that has a high population of um, some older folks. And I thought it was really amazing that they were like, "Look, I don't want you guys going to the grocery stores. We're going to go for you." Um, and that's just one practical thing we can do to meet needs around us, and to look out for those that maybe you know we don't we don't we're not paying attention, but we don't realize the needs and how susceptible they are. And that's just in this time we're living in. But um, is there any encouragement that you'd like to leave our listeners with?
1: <laughs> well, uh, one of the 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 really true things that Mother Teresa uh, said that I, 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 you know, dropped a few of her quotes, but one that shaped me is, um, uh, this one. It's, she said, what's important isn't how much we do, but how much love we put into doing it.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: we're not, we're not called to do great things, but to do small things with great love. Yeah. And, you know, so sometimes I think we can just love one person well, and we mm. can, you know, take care of, a uh, uh, one or two people around us and, um, not be so obsessed with uh, you know how many homes we're providing or how many bags of food we're giving away, but how much love people feel as we do it. And um, so that's um, that's been something I've really held on to, you know. But I'm Great. I'm so encouraged by you know to get to be a part of the conversation. Thanks for folks that are listening in. Yeah, and you can um you know sort of follow our work by. Uh, uh, I'm pretty active on social media on mm-hmm. Facebook and Twitter. It's just my name, Shane Claiborne, on those. And yeah. um, and you know, if folks want to see what we're doing in our community here in Philadelphia, um, they can go to. The Simple Way, TheSimpleWay.org, okay. and we um, we also do like an open house every month. Um, probably taking a couple months off here, but we'll get those going again soon. And then, you know, folks that want to see the larger movement of Jesus and justice that's going on around the the country and around the world can go to RedLetterChristians.org, okay. and uh, we've got a lot of good stuff happening there. So I'll, uh, I'll put yeah, links to it,
0: those on on the show notes. We're cool, and post. if anybody's
1: got guns they want to donate, we're taking them. Yeah, and we're turning them into garden tools. So uh, that's that's happening. That's great. <laughs> no, it's, it's great. though. Uh, thanks so much for having me on your show.
0: Oh, I'm I'm so so excited for um, everyone to hear what you've had to say. And one thing I want to throw out there also is I know that um, a lot of the funding for. For the work that you guys are doing comes through your travel and your speaking schedule and i know that the coronavirus has put a burnt, an indefinite hold on a lot of that and so um, if folks want to give and help support the ministry where would they go
1: yeah, the probably the easiest way to do that. That's so sensitive, and uh, um, I like, I'm, I'm grateful for that. We we have oh, lost. I mean, they're all postponed speaking engagements. Yeah. You know that which my living stipend is taken care of. I get a little living stipend that takes care of us. But all the ministries that we do are funded by mm-hmm. the. Uh, the speaking and writing and all that. So, um, folks can just go to redletterchristians.org dot okay. org and uh, donate there if they want to. And we're we're so grateful. We had uh, lost about ten thousand uh, dollars this wow. week on uh, speaking, and then we had a donor that gave. Uh, uh, almost exactly what we had lost. And so the, the good, God will man. provide, and God's we're grateful good. for everybody's generosity. So thanks so much.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for talking today. I really appreciate it. And um, pray that you guys continue to get to do your work and to share what God is doing and um, all around the world. And um, just thanks for taking the time with us today, Shane.
1: Absolutely.
0: Thanks so much for listening to part two of my interview with the one and only Shane Claiborne. I pray that his faithfulness in the difficult times inspires you. If you enjoy The Faithful Podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a rating and review. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. Reviews help others find The Faithful Podcast so that it can be a blessing to them. Also, Shane and his organization's ability to sustain their ministry is based very heavily on his ability to travel and speak. This has been profoundly impacted by the coronavirus, so please consider giving to Red Letter Christians or The Simple Way. You can find the links on my page, faithfulpodcast.podbean.com, and come find me on Instagram at faithfulpodcast. Have a great week, and remember to stay faithful, friends.